The Secrets of Technology is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Technology. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Technology, where we discuss the technology news that's important to you from a uniquely Catholic point of view. And joining me today on the panel are Pat Scott. Hi, Pat. Hi, greetings and solutions. <laughs> and Thomas Sanherho. Hey, Thomas. <laughs> it's great to be here. All right. First, I want a little bit of program news. Next week, Apple has finally announced their spring event called Spring Loaded, I think is what they... Oh, nice. As they, as they <laughs> said on MacBreak Weekly, that uh, it means that you have to be loaded to buy all the stuff that Apple's yeah, going to be selling. definitely true. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll be talking about that definitely next week. I got Joanne, I got Father Corey. We're going to be talking about the, all of the stuff that's going to be announced next week. And I'm hoping that there'll be an iMac announced so that I can upgrade this sluggard. Uh, that is <laughs> pulling me down in when I ever record. But uh, that's that's for next week. But this week, we have a treat for you. We're going to explain everything you ever wanted to know about NFTs. <laughs> I'm shaking my head and laughing because I before the, this afternoon, I barely could figure it out. But I think we've got a handle on it. Yes. Yeah, I, I think so. I would believe so. Thomas and Pat, you're going to help you're going to help me out on this. Uh, first, I want to mention that we've got a, we've got a couple good links that we'll share in the show notes that will take you through some of the, the stuff you need to know. But what, what it comes down to is so you may have seen NFTs in the news, uh, people buying and selling digital goods, you know, unique things from celebrities, you know, for hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars or whatever it is. And thought, what the heck is this latest nonsense coming off the Internet? <laughs> That's what I thought. And so we're we're going to try to get into that. And the first thing to say is NFT stands for non-fungible token. So, Thomas, why don't you help me? What is a non-fungible token? So a non-fungible token is something that is not tradable. You can't uh, exchange it for something else that's just the same. And it's. It, when you think about digital, it, there's always the, well, can I just right click on it, copy it, download it? Now I've I've got it right. Right. And that's that's absolutely right. You you, you absolutely can make a copy of the thing. Mm -hmm. But the the like truly creative part of the NFTs is that they they're they're signed on the blockchain. So while you might have a copy, you don't have that particular digital piece. And so when it's signed on the blockchain, if it want, if it has, if it's that piece is going to trade hands, the a new piece of information is going to be added to the blockchain, which means that when it's bought or sold, that transaction is added to the blockchain so that you don't have a copy. You have that actual original file. And the blockchain is a is essentially like a ledger book that lives in, on the Internet. Many, many copies of right. the same exact ledger book so that it can't be falsified or fake. And every entry exactly. is unique and in unerasable. Correct. Bingo. Okay. And, and I, 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 when I first started explaining uh, the blockchain to, to my students uh, when I was teaching, uh, the analogy I used was okay. If you had, if you took a, a Polaroid picture, right, and um, you turned it over and you signed your name on the back with a date, that is an indication of when that picture was taken. And so, if somebody went and took that and stuck it on a copy machine, they might get a copy 
off of that Polaroid, but it doesn't have that information on the back of it. It, it doesn't have that signature with the date. And so if you wanted to trade hands officially, you would hand that Polaroid to someone and then they would have to sign over your signature so that there was mm-hmm. kind of a an, an impression that this came next. This was the next move. And it, it would keep having to happen like that for that official version of the document to be moving from one place to another. And it would always have your signature at the very bottom. Okay. Okay. So, so that's how the blockchain works. works. And so, right. A, so a fungible. So I just want to kind of cl- get clear on this. A fungible token is something that is equal value to something else that is exactly the same. So if I have a dollar bill, it is fungible for any other dollar bill. We could you Bingo. could have a do- swap dollar bills. And nothing is really changed fundamentally because we both still have one dollar bills. But if if I have say like like let's talk about a book. I have a book from the bookstore, okay, and I could buy. There are thousands, tens of thousands of the latest book, at, you know, the latest Stephen King novel at the bookstore. And I could buy any one of them and I could photocopy it even. Uh, but there are only so many autograph copies of Stephen King novels that he's autographed. And so if right. I buy one of those, that makes that that one is different. That is now, well, maybe in, in the case of an autograph book, one of a number of those. It may not be unique Correct. by itself, but is one of a number. Now you you can then extend it to ebooks, say, and say, okay, ebooks can be copied and sold by the tens of the th- tens of thousands. But an NFT of an ebook, if you got a non fungible token attached to a particular copy of an ebook, that means you own that particular and unique digital copy of the book. And that's actually uh, not very far off of how libraries use ebooks currently, where mm-hmm. there is one doc one version that they are allowed to use and that version gets checked out to people and returned and it's not exactly the same but it's it's a pretty close uh concept in how those and, and that's why you know you you'll be put on a hold list when you're waiting for an ebook and you're like right. why am i waiting for an ebook well this is part of the reason why <laughs> it's almost a serial number you can even think of it like as a serial number exactly or, right okay and then uh you could think of like artwork because i think a lot of people think of NFTs and art, quote unquote, because I think we have a broad definition of art when applied to this. Uh, but yes. <laughs> so like I could have Monet's, you know, uh, or uh, I was just thinking like the Mona Lisa. Say I own the Mona Lisa. I own the Mona Lisa, the one copy. I know I don't own it. The Louvre owns it. But I say I own it. Now, I could sell print. I could have prints made of it. I don't want to get the selling prints, but I could make prints of it and get, I can hand all those prints up. But only one person can own the original. I can make as many copies as I like, but only one person can own the original. And that's another way to think about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Well, and even by extension with prints, like I have a niece who's into, who's, who has artwork that she sells. And so you could make a limited edition print yep. and say there's 30 copies of this. When those are sold, you can't make another copy of that and sell it. It right. is not legal to do that. So you would have to make something. It could be similar. It could have a change made, but it's a unique copy that then you Mm -hmm. can make another 30 copies of that altered original. So, yeah, it's very, very similar to that. Limited, signed, and numbered edition. I mean, we've heard of those sorts of things. You know, the Franklin Mint Mm -hmm. sells those, right? (laughs) The uh, Donnie Donnie Marie Osmond (laughs) commemorative plates, signed and numbered editions. Uh, I don't know where that came from. That came from the depths of my mind. (laughs) Welcome to how my brain works. Well, in fact, we were talking. Yes, exactly. We were talking before we started recording about how this sort of stuff has existed for a long time. This isn't new. 
right? Pat, you mentioned mm-hmm. one, right? Uh, Second Life? Right, Second Life, uh, where you had to have little worlds that you could fly around to and stuff. You could build your own houses, and you had there was construction material you could do. But then you could go to different vendors and buy artwork to put on the wall or buy buy a hat or buy jewelry or whatever that you wore and used in Second Life was not transferable to anybody else. It was yours. And right. you had that unique copy of it in your wall. So if you have a, you, if you have a unique item in any digital environment, that's a, that's a non-fungible good, a digital good. A non-fun, mm-hmm. You have a non-fungible token related to that digital good in that sense. So that, that and then there were sense. there were ones that were you know like uh, Farmville where you could buy stuff, but those weren't really fungible in a sense that uh, you 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 owned your unique type of thing, right? But they were non tangible objects. But mm-hmm. they were usually limited in the sense of you couldn't you, they you had to you had to purchase them whether through virtual right. currency or real currency. So there was there was a it was a supply and demand. There was a limited supply mm-hmm. of a thing. And to often timed that you could only do this within a certain time frame. Right, right. So that made it unique in that respect. Yeah. And another example is if you've ever read the book Ready Player One or seen the movie, uh, the character in it, uh, W, what's his name? Oh, the character's name has, starts with, his name starts with a W. I forget. I forget. Anyway, but the uh, the whole point of it, of the story was for him to, for everyone is competing to collect a non-fungible token a digital good that would allow you to be the most powerful person in this virtual reality, the, the robes of Anorak and the golden key. And that would, there's only one copy of these things, of these things that exist in that world. So if, so if, if you're trying to think, understand, you know, how, what these are and how this works, these might be ways of understanding it. It's just that to the average person out there, they've not encountered a lot of this techie stuff. Right. So it's all really weird to them. <laughs> it's it's weird to me, too. Well, yeah. But honestly, honestly, it's as weird. Like the reason that these things are taking off is is just for novelty's sake at right. the moment. So I, I think that that's one thing to, to kind of put in context that the that these are taking off because they are so novel. But the turn of that is to say, well, the reason that the Mona Lisa is such a uh, valued painting is because of the novelty of it. Right. There's there is only one Mona Lisa. And so, yes, you can own a print of the Mona Lisa. That's that's fine. Nobody's going to complain about that. There's many prints made, many copies made of it. Uh, But to own the actual painting itself is it's not about the, the painting so much as it is the history that went along with the, the provenance yeah. right when it was made who it was made by uh and and so all of those things build into it being as important as it is and that's kind of what people are seeing here it's just odd that they're willing to shell out so much money so quickly for them. <laughs> right yeah well, and it kind of reminds me of the one uh piece of artwork that was it banksy did that basically when it unfolded, oh, then it yes. destroyed Christi- itself. Yes. It was mm-hmm. definitely ephemeral and yeah. once, in a, once in a lifetime and never to be even kept anymore. Well, it, was mm-hmm. a, it was a gimmick so that when the auction finished, even the auction right. house wasn't aware that it was going to destroy itself. <laughs> I mean, that's kind <laughs> of impossible. <laughs> it's kind of a brilliant thing. But now with our work, like with the Mona Lisa may not be the best example because the Mona Lisa itself, if I'm standing in front of it, I can see the strokes of, of 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 it, uh, not Van Gogh, 
Da Vinci's paint, paint uh, mm. brush, and I could see the paint, and I could see, like, I have an experience that you can't have otherwise. Whereas with a digital good, a video or a picture, uh, if I, you know, if, if I download this, this guy bought this, the D- NFT for this video for $100,000, I can right click and download it and I get the same experience that that guy does. You know, he's not buying the original files and all that sort of stuff. So there is a bit of a difference. And that's why I kind of want to get into with this is what the what's the kind of the hype of it. So kind of deflate mm-hmm. some of the hype and some of the differences. One of the things that I saw pointed out was that NFTs, so they're, they're basically kind of like programs and they can be coded in different ways. And one of the ways is that it can allow the original creator, the artist say to collect money each time the token trades hands. So if I sell my NFT for this digital art to somebody else, well, it could be as part of the original transaction that the artist gets 2%, 5%, 10% of that sale every time. Which is an interesting thing that artists don't have the right to in in regular physical art, which I think is interesting. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and this something that came up the other day as I was wandering around on my quest in various places, and I don't even remember exactly where I ran across it, but it was the start of a museum of digital art mm-hmm. where they some of these things that instead of just being made and, you know, discarded after a pine, this was somebody who was trying to collect digital art because it was he thought important that we keep a record of some of this stuff and archive it and allow people to walk through it virtually and that's what this was was a virtual museum that you could walk through interesting and then people could buy it and loan it to the museum just like we we do today with physical art one of the other things that artists can do is they can also retain copyright and reproduction rights so you know i've sold you an nft but that doesn't mean that it all belongs to you in totality i still retain control of the reproductions of this piece of work and the derivatives of it, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm kicking myself for not having started this back in 2014 <laughs> when I uh, came up with this idea. And um, it was all about, you know, I was teaching kids about metadata. And um, one of the things that I was teaching them about is that not in a not too distant future, you're going to see an instance where an artist is able to use the blockchain to prove that they own a digital work so that if it gets put up and they want to make a copyright claim, all they have to do is just say, here's my blockchain proof. I did not give anyone, did not give that person permission and no one in the blockchain gave them permission either. So they are, they are definitely violating copyright by using this image. You know, this sort of thing could help with a lot of the copyright nonsense that happens on like YouTube where you get copyright claims Mm -hmm. against videos for like music that the original artist you know that the person making the claim is not the person who actually owns this this music thomas you you uh put me onto a video cha- uh, youtube channel called eckhart's ladder uh mm-hmm. which, which is great and he just went through this whole hassle because he has music that he has on each of one of his videos that he bought the rights to or or has the rights to i'm not sure if he bought them or if he was given them by the original artist. And this other guy comes along and claims all his videos on YouTube and YouTube like it hits him with copyright claims on some, hundreds of videos at once and all this other nonsense. And mm-hmm. it was, th- this guy had a platform that he could use and leverage and he's a lawyer by trade and Ooh, it was still a hassle. Nice. Yeah. It was, but it was still a hassle for him and he eventually got his, all that lifted off. But if there was a blockchain and a, pr- a, a non-fungible token that the original artist had, it would be easy enough to go to Google and say, hey, 
this guy doesn't own the copyright on this. I do. And I say it's okay. Right. That and would I be... had it first. <laughs> right, right. That would be interesting. I, I think my, my other idea, so if anyone wants to take this idea, because I just don't have time to do it right now, but um, <laughs> I'm, I'm surprised that the Magic the Gathering uh, guys have not gone through and started making collectible NFT cards for a trading card game online. <laughs> it's, it would. Logan Paul did that. Did you see that? Logan, oh, I haven't seen that yet. No. Logan Paul has made a Logan Paul Pokemon card. Oh, there you go. That he has been Done. selling at $17,000 a pop. <laughs> Seven. So let's talk uh, about some of these. Okay, this is the stuff that has been getting the attention. Father Andrew about that one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. Careful, Father Andrew. Yeah, he's collectible. There's a lot of this, like you said, there's this, this gold rush of NFTs out there for a lot of stuff that's going to be worthless. It's almost a pyramid scheme, I think, in, mm-hmm. in this. People are really speculating on some of this stuff in the early days hoping that they get off before the train crashes. Uh, mm-hmm. There was one, like, so NBA Top Shot is a site that launched last October and by the NBA for virtual video-based basketball trading cards. So it's a short video clip they called Moments that are sold in five-card packs, and it's a, you can buy a moment of LeBron James top layups or something. You know what I mean? That, that sort of thing. Uh, and then they're being uh, bought and resold in a secondary market. So there's one guy spent $200,000 for a video clip of LeBron James. And I'm thinking, like a video clip that anybody could watch, that everyone who saw that game saw. And the, the thing that comes to me is, this, is this a moral use of money? And is this art? The, those, like, those are the two questions that keep coming back to me. It's like, is this, is this a, a good use of, of money? Couldn't it be sold and given to the poor? You know, <laughs> that sounds like a quote I've heard before. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> on the one hand, I fully support the 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 patronage of the arts and oh yeah, and and that sort of thing. But on the, on the other hand, is this art? <laughs> you know, uh, it, some it, of it could be, but some yeah. of it, as you say, a, a moment in time that a, a, an action is occurring. It's hard to see that there was intent of art there you could say it was right. a sequential event right but yeah it, it's but yeah. i think i i it comes back to what you're buying is this particular moment in time digitally uh that that we now have a way that we because because data is, is so important data has become such a huge market important piece of the way that we deal with um, everything in the world now. And I, I think, we, you know, we, we have called it the information age before, but we are really still in the infancy of what that means. Right. And, you know, I, I was thinking about this. Okay. So what would this mean? What would an NFT look like? Um, that was, that was really a valuable, like capture of a moment in time. And I was watching the blue origin uh, attempt to launch today. And um, I was thinking, so if they're thinking of sending artists up into space, what if you were the person that made the first piece of digital art in space that's signed with a location signature that says, you know, exactly where you were and, you know, exactly the time and everything, and it's all included in the art. And the, the value of that would be tremendous. And, and it would be because it was the first time that it happened. You know, human a human was sent into space for something other than a scientific mission was given. You uh, recorded in full detail where mm. you were when it happened, you know, and that's it's not so much about the art because, you know, you can make a cat picture, which is what a lot of these things are. Right. But it's more about the 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 back end of it, the data that goes along with it and the, the fact that it is unique. Yeah, the context to it. 
interesting. It's a new way of looking at this sort of 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 value of of what is valuable. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of what we're struggling with is we especially those of us who are older, you know, we see value in in the physicality of a thing. Um mm-hmm. you know, although we've always had this idea of once we have a thing in its context it changes what we think of it. So a basketball is just a basketball until we think that basketball was the basketball that Larry Bird dunked in the seventh game of the, uh, I'm thinking, I get basketball in the brain, you know, of the NBA championship in 1986, or, you know, or, you know, that's, that's the Babe Ruth final home run ball. That's not just any mm-hmm. baseball. It's the Babe Ruth one. And suddenly that baseball isn't just a baseball. It has context and therefore it has value or put it in a Catholic context. What's that? That's that right. That's just a little piece of wood, right? Yeah, Yeah, that's not just a little piece of wood. That actually turns out to be a piece of the true cross of Jesus Christ. Oh, and now relics, for instance, are a a physical good that are valuable because of their context. Mm -hmm. Um, Like, and I'm thinking more of the of second class relics in the sense of not a piece of the body of of the saint, but a piece of something that either they owned or that they or was touched to a first class relic or to the person. And I think that's an interesting way of looking at it is that there's a it's the I I like that. It's the context in which the thing exists. I think that helps. Well and the other point you made about is it moral to spend X amount of dollars on something, I think that depends upon context too. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If if this working class father with six children goes out and buys an NFT for seven hundred thousand dollars, that's immoral. Okay, I won't because do it that. could be used for family. <laughs> it could be used for something else. Right, right. If somebody who's Bill Gates or somebody else yeah. buys it, it's probably just a drop in the bucket, and he may be donating it sometime down the road to some other good cause. Yeah. yeah. So it's it's also context there about the value and how much you're giving up for it. That's true. I mean, I think of the guy who's the, the there was the the famous one of the first civilians to go up in orbit on the Russian rockets. And he spent $20 million for this ride. And and people go, how could you waste $20 million on one trip into space? And it's like to that guy, if I had, if I was a bazillionaire and someone said, and someone said $20 million is nothing. I would (laughs) for a trip to space. Where do I sign? Yeah. (laughs) To go into space. I mean, isn't that worth it? So I get, yeah, I guess from a guy from Austin. (laughs) Right, 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 right. So yeah, I guess I can, I can see some of that. So I don't know. All right. Well, I I think that's a good introduction to NFT. It bears watching and it bears thinking about. I mean, that's an important aspect of this. We need to think about these things and not just dismiss it as more that internet silliness like I did earlier, uh, but to kind of really approach it as what is this new thing and how is it changing us? And I think that's one of the things Mm -hmm. we should be doing on this podcast is to think about how technology affects us, how it's changing and how we might need to change to adapt to it. In, in one sense. So that's good. The only thing I wanted to add is that there's a little like side note is NFTs are not just for intangible goods or digital goods. They're also using it for things like real estate transactions on the blockchain. That would make researching a title a lot easier if you had a blockchain. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, a lot of things, right. Digital identity, verifying identity, identity theft could become harder to do if we had something like a blockchain like mm-hmm digital ID verification, which I think we talked about recently on a, on a recent episode uh, that or or we're going to. I, I can't remember whether we, we were going to talk about it or we have talked about it, but it definitely is something that we're going to be discussing a lot more in, of. Yeah. yeah. 
All right. I think that does it for this for this topic for now. We'll move on. I do want to thank uh, take a moment to thank our patrons for their fungible tokens <laughs> that make it possible for us to create the secrets of technology, including KDK, uh, Christopher B, Robbie C, Andrew W, and Simon M. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of technology in all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And I, I should have said before, uh, I want to hear like from listeners. If you have questions about NFTs, or if you have comments, or you want to respond to anything we said, uh, we'd love to hear from you. Technology at sqpn.com. So let's move on to some more of our headlines. There is a really interesting headline here. We talked last year when Apple and Google came up with this plan to have this uh, COVID tracing, contact tracing framework that would be available on both iPhones and Android phones that local governments could use to create uh, COVID apps for their areas. We talked about how we weren't worried too much about it. I think we, we were generally, and I'll speak for myself, I was generally not worried about this being used for nefarious purposes by governments to track us beyond what Apple and Google said they were the, that this was for. And because Apple and Google had both promised that this was about pri- privacy and that the tracking could be done anonymously and no one's going to be banging down your door to uh, to tell you that you need to be hauled off to the quarantine. Uh, and there was some concern about that. Well, th- here's an example of a, uh, in a story about with some of that, con- some of our confidence being upheld. The British National Health Service has an official COVID-19 app. They've had it for a little bit. And Apple, both Apple and Google have blocked the latest update, which is interesting uh, because it had expanded the amount of data it collects on the users of the app. And Apple and Google said, you, you, have, you may have good intentions, but that's too far. And we, we're, you know, you've gone beyond the bonds of, bounds of what we will allow. What do you think of this? I think it's good that they that they're 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 putting the line in the sand and saying, okay, this is valuable, but you've gone too far to say that you want X, Y, and Z. That's not what the original app uh, you you said it was going to do, and that gets too personal. Yeah, Yeah. it was. uh, It was what it would have done is have optional location tracking features that would allow users to share their location logs with the health service. Uh, I think they they were wanted that to get more statistical data on how people were coming out of lockdown and interacting with each other. Mm-hmm. Again, it all sounds very admirable. It sounds like if people would be, ha- be able to opt in, but both Apple and Google said slippery slope. I think they, they didn't say exactly mm-hmm. what what was. They just said this went beyond the bounds and we're not allowing it. It's an interesting interesting to me to see these big companies flexing their muscles against basically national governments. Mm-hmm. That there's a, this is an interesting moment in which corporations power versus nation state power are coming up against each other and we're seeing how this will play out it's an interesting uh it's set of circumstances even beyond just the particular circumstance of the covid-19 app so i i'm curious to see how this will continue to play out and and that sort of thing especially considering there's been so much discussion about whether some corporations are flexing their muscles to control things. And some people are saying, oh, no, they shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like saying, OK, these are what we intended for this to do and we're doing it. It's right. not mm-hmm. like, OK, we're coming back in and getting more 
from you than we told you originally, which is obviously one one company or more's problem. Right. But yeah, interesting. Yeah, I'll be curious to see how this how this continues to go and where this you know this sort of thing goes with other parts of these big companies flexing their muscle of their their consumer marketplace power versus you know because the the one thing that a nation state has that that corporations don't yet is uh, they have the power of the of use of force you know when it comes down mm-hmm. to it ultimately they law. have they have the law on their side they have the police on their side they you know they can force enforce their laws as they see fit on the other hand corporations can say we're not doing business in your country but that's a whole other well and i like in this case too that it's um the the corporations are looking out for the people where the people might not care. You know, this is my, this is one of those things where it's like yeah. people very often don't care and they just click off on whatever. Sure. And permission, they're in danger later. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. I think that's the thing is it's optional, but, but if a lot of times this stuff is, is complex or people, it, people get dialogue box fatigue and they just click. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. And these companies are acknowledging that. Yeah, this kind of can happen. So, you know, the well, people technically, yeah. Technically speaking, this is a, the, the one of the big issues here was that this was a soft opt in, which means that it records the data, but it doesn't report the data until um, oh, okay. you say, yeah, it's yeah. OK to report the data, which is a very hairy issue. In, in, oh, in yeah. Security itself. about the, the security problems if it gets breached. Yeah, right. yep, exactly. The, when the, once the data exists, then it's now mm-hmm. have to, has to be kept safe. And that's that's the problem, uh, which actually leads into our next story, our next headline. <laughs> Very much uh, so. <laughs> this, there's a, a school custodian, this woman who was working as a school custodian. It says school custodian. She was working for a private contractor that was cleaning schools and disinfecting them after hours and that sort of thing. But she had gotten a job working for them part time. And her employer said to her, by the way, you have to install this app on your personal phone. This is an important aspect of this that will track you your when you are at work and when you are not at work. So it, what it does is it creates a geofence around a particular area and records when you enter that geofence and when you leave. So when you enter the grounds of the school or when you leave the grounds of the school, uh, we don't track you. They said we don't track you when you're where you go and what you're doing within that geofence. And she just she objected to that because and I think she had good reason to object, which is, A, this is her personal phone. Okay, that you were mm-hmm. demanding that you put this app isn't just on my phone when I'm at work. This app is now on my phone when I'm at home, when I'm going to, out to visit other people. When no matter what I'm doing, this app, app is there. And what data is this app collecting besides what it you tell me it's collecting? And then third, who is keeping track of this data, this private data about my comings and goings? Uh, you know, mm-hmm. how is this being protected and how is this being safe? So I think she has good. Good reason to be concerned. What do you think of this one? Well, it's kind of like the old time card analogy that, uh, yes, it's not, I can understand being able to record when somebody goes and comes, but you use something that's independent of the person. You don't mm-hmm. make them use their personal item. If you want to issue a badge to them that has a location tracker that you could, they can see within that building where you are. Right. I can understand that. You know, uh, on the other hand, I know was one of the companies that did that. People were concerned that they would be tracked into the bathroom and see how much time they spent in there, which is an invasion of privacy. Yes. So even in that case, you you have to look at the the, the limitations of it. But, yeah, I think she has all the right there to to say not on my phone. You know, what could an app from your employer 
you know, on your phone do besides what they claim? You know, it could it could be tracking who you call and you're on your own time, where you go, you know, for who you spend time with and all kinds of data. Like all we, our phones are now our connection to the world and they, they are with mm-hmm. most of us all the time and they have microphones and cameras on them. I mean, this is, you know, it, if you want really want to get paranoid about it, a, an app that your employer would insist you put on your phone could be a complete invasion of privacy. And that, that is concerning. Now, Say your employer does make you put an app on your phone and you don't want to lose your job and you you go along with it. What could you do to mitigate how much information they have on you outside of the the the, the ostensible reason for putting it on there during working time? Well, I, one one of the things that you make sure of is that don't give it any permissions that you don't want it to have. Right. Yeah. So if if you don't want it to have location access and that's not part of what you're what you need it for, don't give it permissions to do that. And go in and check the permissions. If you don't know how to do that, um, it's different for every phone, but in the settings, there should be a, a setup for the uh, the permissions that are given to each app individually. And you can go in and check that. And I, if, if there is an issue, if there is an, an overreach that you see, bring it up with your human resources department and with your, um, with your IT department and say, Hey, look, I, I have noticed this. I, I don't think that's the way it should be. Could you explain to me why? And they need to have an explanation for that. That, that needs to be a part of why they, they need to be able to justify why they have that permission asked for. It's, it's a sticky situation. I like the way that, that one of the apps that I have for my current employer, um, the way it, it's handled is it doesn't uh, attach to my contacts at all, which is annoying if I have someone in my contacts that I want to call uh, on the app. But it means that they're not pulling my information into their system, which mm. is good. That's a, you know, it's a, that kind of separation is the separation you want. And so you you do have to pick a little bit of inconvenience in order to maintain safety for yourself in that situation. I actually had a client that the uh, employer wanted them to install an app. This was two or three years ago. Uh, And she thought, if I do this, the implication is they can erase my phone at any time because now it's got company information or company app on it. So she just went out and got a, a, you know, a rent a phone type thing from Walmart or someplace like that and use that and just said, oh, yeah, this is my phone. Right. And mm-hmm. that's all they saw was what she had on there for, for the business, because people don't realize that if you are using your personal phone for business, many apps, when you do that, it gives permission for the employer to wipe the phone if they think that it might have fallen into enemy hands, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that's part of it. And, and I've had many clients that came up and said, do I really want to allow this? Do I want to do this? And I'd say, if it were me, I wouldn't. I'd have another right. phone. <laughs> the, the one that I have, I have to sign into every single time I want to get <laughs> to anything. And again, it's annoying, but I understand why. And I right. like it. I like the fact that, that it is that difficult to do things. It used to be that employers, if they wanted you to have a phone, they buy you a phone. Like and people right. carry I two phones. Doing that. Yeah. yeah. And, the, the, you know, if my employer, which I'm the boss, but if I work for somebody who wanted me to have that sort of thing, I would totally. OK, buy me a phone because I, I don't have a phone. <laughs> right. <laughs> You're not required by law to have a phone already. So. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking about this like I would analogize it. It's like your boss wanting to install a camera in your home to make sure you're working at when you're working remotely during work hours. 
I, yeah. and that camera is never going to be on outside of work hours. Well, or or apps. I mean, a lot of people have machines that they bring home from work. You know, work yeah. machines, and I'm sure that most of that is you are required to log in on that machine. It keeps track of how often you're logging in and yep. all that. And that's their data, but you don't use that for anything else. You right. just reserve that and keep it for that business. Right. Never use yep. an employer provided computer or phone or whatever for personal stuff. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 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 The, the, this employee privacy is a, is another area where we really need to quickly develop uh, laws and regulations that protect everybody's rights. And we have to be very clear on what can and can't be done because it is a bit, a bit of a wild west situation uh, for a lot of these things. So that, that, that's a, that's an important aspect of it. So the, our last headline, uh, this is our, a, a little Apple headline, just in general uh, ahead of next week's big event, Apple event. Um, but the Apple has been sneaking out some interesting things ahead of their event. And one of the things they did was they, Apple Arcade is their service where for five bucks a month, you get access to all the games in Apple Arcade. It's a, it's sort of like it's we, the old analogy. It's like Netflix for for uh, video games, for phone games. Or actually, it's not just for phone because it works on tablet, or your iPad, it works on your Mac, it works on Apple TV. So it's but it's a Netflix for games, gaming. And I like it. I've had this from almost from the beginning. My kids like a bunch of the different games. It costs nothing to let them try a new game. The best part is. There are no in-app purchases, no freemiums. It's wonderful <laughs> to, mm-hmm. to have to be able to play a game and not and not run up against. Well, you could continue to play uh, if you paid me two dollars, or no right. ads, no <laughs> none of that. Uh, but for a long time, there was there was some good games, but there wasn't uh, a great you know selection. However, they just released a big update that added a whole bunch of interesting games. Uh, there's like an, uh, sports games, sports simulation games are huge uh, in consoles. There's an NBA uh, sports game in there now. There's a Final. There's a Final Fantasy is like a role playing video game, a multi, uh, not a multiplayer, a single player in this case. But uh, the same people who brought Final the Final Fantasy fr- franchise to video games. They've created a new one that looks really cool that uses real dioramas. They created like physical dioramas and then mapped the digital characters into it. So it has this real look to it. And the one I'm really enjoying right now is the Star Trek Legends, which is a it's a um, trading card game. It's sort of no, well, yeah, it it sort of works a little bit like a Magic: The Gathering. That it's that sort of you're leveling up your characters as they go through adventures, and you have to do these all these different things to make them better and increase their their stats, and then you go head to head in battles. It's a lot like yeah, Pokemon or Magic: The Gathering, that sort of stuff. But uh, so, what do you guys think of this? You know, this is Apple kind of getting it or i mean is are they always destined to be this lower tier of casual gaming compared to nintendo and uh microsoft xbox and playstation what do you think wait 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 wait! you just compared you just said lower tier casual gaming and said nintendo is not that that's like no no no. nintendo is so this is totally like this is something i think nintendo wishes they had done okay all right (laughs) yeah absolutely because this is this is very much a family because nintendo is very much more family friendly, more more about uh, people playing together. And um, I, I think that if they had the reach 
that Apple does, um, they would have done something like this before now. Okay, okay. I mean, it's it, in some ways, it's a little bit like Stadia, Google Stadia, that, that whole mm-hmm. idea, which is the... So like Google's attempt to get into this, which is to get the top, the the high end games available for people who don't have high end consoles, right? You don't have to buy the the heavy duty hardware to play it. Well, and- the other thing I see that this does is that uh, people who are on one platform often would like to play with somebody who's on another platform or mm-hmm. play the game similar to them. And Apple has been a walled garden. And now mm-hmm. they're opening up that wall and saying, okay, let's get some of the games that are over here that are really good. Maybe people in this platform would like to enjoy those too. Mm. I think it may be also a way to gather in people that that uh, might not have even looked at arcade before. Mm-hmm. And now they say, oh, well, my boy can play X on there where I don't have to go get this on this other platform. Okay. Right. And and I I think also you, you kind of hit the nail on the head. Google did it and they did it poorly. <laughs> and now <laughs> yes. somebody else has they picked stumbled. it up and is doing it well. <laughs> That's it. Well, they it's came kinda, out about the same time. Yeah. It's Google's MO is they're always out in front. They do something and it just it it fails spectacularly and then someone and then else goes, oh, we could do that. And they kill it. <laughs> well, that's an inter- two interesting corporate philosophies. Google is like, let's let's just go for it. Like, just go for it. They'll throw it mm-hmm. out there, like Google Glass, all these other things. And it's like, yeah, yeah, like See a bunch of nerds. Fits. Yeah, which is like, we're a bunch of nerds and we're making something cool. Just throw it out there. Sure, it doesn't work all like perfectly and it's not as good as we'd hoped. Oh, yeah. And everyone's disappointed. Whereas Apple's like, wait, 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 wait. Okay, here it is. You know, like now that's which isn't to say that Apple always comes out of the gate and hits a home run. Wow, that's a mixed metaphor. But <laughs> they uh, <laughs> they generally have tended to have more successes in, the, in these sorts of things than failures. Yeah. Uh, so they they take their time. Well, and they don't flood it all at once. Like on Apple TV Plus, it was like they had a few things and they're adding four things, and now they're opening them up to some other other entries that are are not in their walled garden right and i think they're doing the same thing with the gaming saying okay you know now we've we put out a certain amount now we're adding more now guess what's coming you know right Mm -hmm. right it keeps the interest going you haven't right thrown it all out there at once well and i think that's the way these the way these services keep their numbers it's the number of new subscribers is what they care about it's not so much you know how many people they have subscribed already it's how many new subscribers they have uh coming on board so uh it's 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 a smart move to to kind of keep it back and just uh, and, and i'll be honest like i i'm i'm a gamer i am a, a hardcore I'm a gamer who sits down and mods <laughs> skyrim so that it you know i'm still playing skyrim you know <laughs> 10 years after it came out and i'm modding it and i, I still actually haven't even beaten the game if I'm honest, um, <laughs> I just run around in the world and do do the fun stuff that I want to do. Right. Uh, but that, you know, that's me. But that's not a majority of people who are now playing video games. And that's right. I, I think that the, the people who are still saying, well, you're not a real gamer, don't understand what it means to be a gamer anymore. And, yeah. and that's that's the hazard of, you know, like making fun of people who play Fortnite is not it doesn't make Fortnite any less popular by saying well that's not a real game yeah. it is <laughs> right. it is it's just a different variety than what you what has had come earlier exactly know. yeah dis- disdaining those who've come after who do who aren't quite as dedicated don't spend as much time as you on a thing it's not the best way of being a fan i mean that's if there's one yeah. there's one bad part of geek culture it's that 
snobbery uh, the snobbery that that sometimes <laughs> comes out yeah yeah yeah, yeah i i know uh I, I you'd be yeah it's amazing the numbers of people who play these casual games like uh one of the things that they've done in this latest uh release of games on, on arcade is they've got a lot of these classic great apple you know ios games and repackaged them in arcade so you got your monument mm. valley you got threes mm. oh my gosh threes my wife melanie has been playing threes constantly for the last five years like it's it's a fidget for her now she just it's like something to keep her hands busy it's mesmerizing yeah, yeah. Uh, but it's like the it's it's great because these were separate purchases before which i've already made on some most of these so it doesn't help me but <laughs> uh, you know it's 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 in there and it's in the part of the package i mean it's it's kind of amazing when you think about it like so uh when you when you you get your I'm trying to think of like, like the analogy with like Netflix. You've got this big catalog and you got your Queen's Gambit and you got your Witcher, but you get, you know, a, a, a whole boatload of other things in there as well that eh, I've already got the service. I might as well check this out. You know, right. that sort of thing. Comedy so, specials. <laughs> right. You know, Pacific Rim the Bla- into the black. Or what was that one? The uh, yeah. anime <laughs> that I watched that was yeah, eh, it was it was all right. Uh, it was interesting. But uh, so. Interesting to see Apple doing, you know, kind of doubling down on this and moving forward on it. I'm I'm curious to see whether this is a precursor to improved Apple TV hardware and that sort of stuff Mm. and whether Mm -hmm. that means this it means anything for their future hardware plans. But we'll we'll have to see. Okay, I think that does it for our, our headlines this week. Let's move on to our picks of the week. Thomas, why don't you go first? All righty. Uh, for my pick this week, I am, uh, recognizing a youtube channel that i enjoy far too much <laughs> uh, I, I love this guy's channel it's fantastic uh the channel's called how to make everything and um when i first started watching him it was just uh he was just on this kind of kick to just make things right so he wanted to see how much modern stuff he he could make individually by himself so for example like a sandwich how could you make a sandwich without going to the grocery store and buying the ingredients for a sandwich, right? Like, so he he went and figured out how to make bread and how to raise uh, crops and the whole nine yards. And so, and he, but the, the cool thing, this is what really makes this worthwhile, right? It's not just watching this guy goof around with stuff, but he keeps records of how long it takes him to do these things. So he made a suit out of stuff that he wove himself, wow. but... And and it's terrible. It's a horrible suit. Like, and I think that you will gladly admit that it's a horrible suit. But he kept track of of the amount of man hours and at minimum wage what that would look like. So he has a, a record of how much the suit that he made costs at, at minimum wage hours spent, and um, it's fantastic to watch. But about a year ago, uh, and it's been kind of thrown off by the pandemic. So you know there. Uh, don't don't really judge harshly on this but about a year ago he decided he was going to go back to the basics and he was going to really try and start okay we haven't invented anything so i can't look this stuff up i need to go and learn from the ground up how to do everything and so he started over in the stone age and said okay well what are the first tools that men needed that humans used and he learned how to make them so he learned how to flint nap he learned how to uh you know 
how to grow crops, how to uh, make bread, how to it, it's it is intense. And so for the last year or so, every once in a while, he'll throw in a goofy video that's, you know, just him doing something like really off the wall. But for the last year or so, he's been building his skill set from the stone age. And so he's up to the bronze age now. And I think he just got into the irons and to smithing the harder metals. So it, wow. but it's amazing to watch him do this because, and, and every once in a while he'll revisit stuff because he's like, okay, like, like we, we learned how to make pottery. This, the, the latest video was we learned how to make pottery, but let's go back and really see if I can use my potter's wheel that he made from scratch uh, to make a real pot. And so he went to some real potters and had them help him learn how to make his pottery out of like really spin the pot uh really spin the the thing and make a real pot out of it so highly recommend it very very uh informative surprisingly informative as on top of being very entertaining wow this is cool i'm looking at the list sounds of like something your kids would enjoy too yeah. oh, they love it they yeah they adore yeah. it yeah. wow <laughs> wow yeah unlocking uh, roman con- how to make roman concrete uh, mm-hmm. the Mongolian recurve bow. Well, yeah, this. Wow, this looks really cool. Uh, I love channels where people are exploring the depths of a interesting thing where they have a almost a mania about a thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like uh, Jorg Sprave, the the German guy who's who loves making. <laughs> <laughs> like non non uh, gunpowder projectile weapons and just ha- has way too much fun with them. But it's all oh, yeah. interesting engineering uh, as things, mm-hmm. you know, I just I love that sort of uh, that that sort of channel. So that's really cool. Well, I mean, and I think that my favorite part about this channel, too, is that like w- with a lot of them, y- you have a person that's got years of years worth of a hobby mm-hmm. in them behind their making the YouTube channel. This guy has no experience with anything. It, huh. it almost seems like he's just like, you know, he's like, he, he's like just your at completely average person. And, uh, and he's, and he just got interested in learning this stuff and, and said, you know what, I'm going to do it. And, and is, and, but the keeping the record, that's the brilliant thing to me because he'll get to the end of it and he'll say how much it would have cost you right. know, minimum wage how much it costs for me man hours wise to do this. And and it really makes you feel better about, you know, where you are in life where it's like, gosh, it's so easy to go to the store and just grab olive oil (laughs) and not not have to worry about growing the olives and picking the olives and squeezing the olives and keeping the olive oil. (laughs) Right. There's one that's like making a $228 sheet of paper. Like it costs $228 (laughs) to make a sheet of paper. Uh, Wow. Well, and part of that's efficiencies of scale, right? I mean, Right. It, it right. You do cost... it once, right? Versus ten thousand times. Yeah. Right. Right. So interesting. Wow. Very fascinating. I like that. Thank you. It'll be that'll be mm-hmm. a lot of fun. It's going to waste a lot of or not waste a lot of my time. But it's going to take a lot of my time watching this. So very good. <laughs> Pat, what's your pick? Well, following on our our uh, topic of of uh, virtual reality and all, I've had a quest too, and I've had it for some time now, and I've I'm really thoroughly enjoying it. But one of the problems is that with a lot of people, they get headaches from it because of the pressure that the the um, the, band. the headset puts on your, yeah. your head and on your cheeks. And I've been following along a lot of people that were talking about this and what things were out there and what things to to try to relieve that. So I went ahead and invested in what they call a halo. It's not a brand. It is a type of headset. And instead of just the strap that goes over your head and connects and uh, you tighten up with, with pulling straps, 
this is basically like a, you've got a padded area in front and a pad behind your neck, and then something that basically you 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 just turn a little wheel and it tightens it there. Okay, and mm. it distributes the weight around your head as like opposed to concentrating yeah. it. Right. But Halo, because it goes all the way around. Right. So I just got it. It was really surprisingly easy to install. Basically, I just looked and saw how you take the old strap off, and then this, these two little pieces slide onto the existing uh, frame, mm-hmm. and then you have to kind of learn how to adjust it and stuff like that. But uh, I have to admit, the last two times I've played, it's like, oh, I don't have that that extra tension area that I, that I normally do. That was the thing I noticed about that. Yeah. So the way the, the, the quest works now is, is it's the pressure. It holds it on by pressure you know, around your, the back of your head, but also against the, your, uh, you know, the area around the orbit of your eyes. And so this and is your cheeks in your yeah. cheeks. And in my case, my nose, because that's the most prominent feature there. So it <laughs> pushes on my nose. That's one of the things I've noticed. Whereas with the halo, the, the, Quest will just kind of hang in front up against your face. They call it floating it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that would be interesting. And it feels a little loose and you think, oh, is this thing going to come off? Yeah. But the way you, if you, and some people have said that they use a head strap with it and and my particular one came with a head strap and I'm finding, I don't think I need it because it's already fine and uh, because you can adjust it quite a bit and it makes it real easy to take off because you just flip up mm. the back and it's it's off. Whereas the one now, it's like I have to kind of pull the glasses out or pull right. the headset off of my head and and trying to get it on somebody else to let them try it is not going to be as easy with a traditional strap right. as with this other one. You can just pull it on, make it real loose, get it set right, and then just tighten it down. It would seem to work a lot better with people for people who have glasses that they that wear. Well, glasses. that's one of my problems. Yes, yeah, I, I do have glasses. I always it's always annoying when I take it off in the glasses. Uh, I have to point out, by the way, I keep getting emails from listeners <laughs> complaining that we're making them want uh, to buy an Oculus Quest, <laughs> and their spouse keeps saying no. So I'm sorry, <laughs> we're doing it again, but uh, I promise, we'll, you will join. You will join us. We will. Uh, we will absorb you. It's- in the total cost of things, it's a low cost entry, really. Yeah, yeah compared to in, like, into compared yeah. to the two several thousand dollar headsets that were yeah. out there before. Even like a PS Five, you get to buy the whole PS Five and the VR. So yeah, it's pretty. Yeah, I'll say low cost. Sure, why not? <laughs> so well, uh, it's, it's less than a phone, less than a yes, you know, yes. a lot of things. So uh, let, I'll go for my pick now. Uh, thank you, Pat, for that that uh, pick. That's a good one. Mine is another app for my Mac. I've been doing uh, a lot of these, but all of my menu bar apps. That but I think it was Father Corey who who challenged me to to uh, do all my. This is going to take a long time, folks. When I go through all my menu bar apps, because I got a lot of them. <laughs> but my latest one is another one of the ones where it's one of the first things I install on a new Mac when I get you know when I get a new Mac or I sit down on a new Mac. It's called Yoink. Yoink. And uh, what it does is it's a way to it's sort of like a third hand on your computer. So it's like a, or a drop shelf. Sometimes they're called you're moving files around on your computer. You got to move from from this directory to that directory. Sometimes I got to drop it in, you know, from this folder and I have to drop it into this app. And you got to you get multiple files and you're trying to gather them up and then you you your finger lets up on the click and then suddenly they all drop wherever it was and you got to figure out where it went oh that sort of nonsense well yoink is a little shelf where as soon as you start dragging a file on your computer it pops up on the side of the screen and you just drag the file over it and plop it there and it doesn't it doesn't move the file yet it doesn't do anything with the file yet that's sort of a placeholder 
Then you go wherever you need to go, and you can then drag it from the placeholder to where you're, you're wanting to drag it. Mm. And you can drag multiple <laughs> files. You could drag one file. You could split it up. There's, it's got a lot of options like that. One of the things it does, it integrates with my launcher called Alfred, where I can do something where I double tap the option key. You know, I, I click a file, double tap the option key, and hit A, and it will add it to Yoink. And I don't have to even drag it anywhere. It just adds it. It's so quick. Uh, so it's really nice. It's got a lot of, a lot of ex- other features to it that, that you can get into. But the, the, the basic one is, is it helps you m- move files around without having to, you know, drag them with your mouse wherever you got to go over multiple windows and that sort of thing. So it's a really nice little app. Um, it's in the set app subscription, which is Netflix for apps because everything's a Netflix for something, uh, or you could, you could buy it outright from, uh, eternal storms software, which I will provide the link in the show notes. Kind of a visual clipboard almost. It's a, it's a clipboard. Yeah. It, it's really great. There's several, but, but multiple, multiple items, not just the last one you used, et cetera. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Cool. And, right. And it's for files specifically. Yeah. Uh, there are several different ones out there that do similar things. I actually used another one that's like this called Drop Zone, but I use that differently. And I will talk about that in a future pick of the week. But uh, for now, Yoink is the one I'm recommending. All right, that does it for us now. So if you have any feedback, comments, questions for us, anything you'd like to, uh, us to explore as a, to- a future topic on the show, you can let us know by commenting at sqpn.com slash technology or the SQPN Facebook page, facebook.com slash Media, or send an email to technology at sqpn.com. We'll put links to all the, the items from our discussion and our picks of the week in our show notes at sqpn.com. Please, if you can, we really do appreciate it. It really helps us a lot. If you would write us a review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcast from and share the podcast with your friends, we're, we're here to help people. That's what we're about. So uh, we can help more people if you share the podcast. That's the number one way we get out there to new listeners. So until next time, Thomas Sinerho, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of technology. It was great to be here. Pat Scott, thank you as well. Always a pleasure. And once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Technology on StarQuest. 